You want some more of this bitch? Welcome to the Three Kings Podcast, where everyday blokes act like kings. I'm just a regular, everyday, normal motherfucker. I told you in the first song, I'll tell you in another. I'm just a regular, everyday, normal motherfucker. I don't have a girlfriend. How are you guys? Uh, welcome to the show this week. I'm Axel, and uh, my co-host with me is Nick. Uh, this week, we've got a special guest on. You guys would know him from the Ozex Open, and he is currently the CEO of um, the World Supercross. He's disrupting the supercross game around the world taking it global and um the one and only adam bailey um yeah i hope you guys enjoy great to have you on mate um how did you get your start in the sx industry like supercross industry obviously you started with oz open but how did that evolve into you know starting this world sx and recording in progress how did you get started in the promotion company like at all Oh, look, uh, you know, it probably started a long, long time, um, you know, before even X Open and World Supercross where, um, you know, I grew up racing myself and um, raced motocross and, and some supercross and um, just loved it so much. And I was just, I wanted to be involved in any aspect of the sport that I could really. So when I kind of realised I wasn't going to be much of a, a supercross racer at all, and I'd set myself a time limit of kind of being 25 and sort of said, when I'm 25, I'm going to start getting a bit more serious about my career and, yeah. you know, what I what I do. And I, I had done a marketing and commerce degree. Um, but sort of around that same time, I was managing Cam Sinclair. It was, and it was just um, he's super, his freestyle career was kind of taking off. I had the marketing degree and he needed some help with sponsorship and things and and uh, PR. And so I, I sort of started my business managing him. Um, but together and with his brother, Mick, we started promoting mini bike events, which were just pit bike events, which we called the Mini SX. And um, we, we hired a BMX track in Frankston and um, this is 2005, believe it or not, and kind of promoted events that um, for a few years in a row where we just sold tickets at the gate and people came and, you know, I think we, we made 10 or 15 grand each time and, you know, thought we were rock stars and it was, yeah. it was cool. So, you know, that's kind of where it started. And and um, soon after that, I, I worked for um, Uriv Konski at Full Throttle Sports and ran the Australian Supercross Championship around 2007. I sort of was the event manager for it, um, which, you know, managed to learn tons of lessons and, you know, be on the ground doing everything from driving machinery with no license that I shouldn't be driving to adjusting the stadium lights to, you know, actually um, doing the marketing and PR and promoting the event. So I got really good exposure across the board. And then um, my agency business kind of had grown and, and I met um, Ryan Sanderson who became my business partner in about 2010 um, but in 2015, actually, we were approached by a brand. We were doing work for Carlton Dry, who you guys probably know, sponsored um, motocross and sponsored some teams and athletes in motocross around that time. Yeah. And um, and they said, oh, we want to run our own event. You know, what can we do? Like the Red Bull X Fighters, you know, we want to do something like that for Carlton Dry. And um, at that time, Supercross in Australia had kind of taken a bit of fair backwards kind of step. Um, and it wasn't really going that well. The events were fairly fairly low quality and there hadn't been an indoor event for um gosh around 10 years like there hadn't been an indoor stadium event at like a rod labor arena or yeah. you know um at the time it was called all phones arena in sydney so 
the event idea we pitched was to promote a supercross in um, All Phones Arena in Sydney. And um, we were going to call it the Carlton Dry Open. And um, and eventually Carlton Dry pulled out and said, no, it's too risky. We don't want to do that. So, But we'd done all the homework and done all the research and done all the budgeting and felt really confident about it. So we decided to go ahead and get an investor ourselves and we called it the OzX Open. And um, and that was kind of that. So from 2015 to 20, you know, 19, we ran the OzX Open um, first of all in Sydney and the first one sold out in kind of 10 days, which was, which was amazing. Yeah. And, um, and we grew that and, you know, until 20, 2019 and we had, we ended up doing events in New Zealand and also in, um, you know, the Melbourne one in Marvel and, um, and uh, you know, had 35,000 people in Marvel and it was great. And we sort of learned all these lessons along the way and then uh, COVID came along and sort of put a stop to all that as well. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was kind of like the, the a blessing in a way and it, and it, it meant that felt entertainment in the u.s didn't didn't uh, renew their rights with fim to have the world championship um, we'd already wanted to do events around the world because we realized that there was events out there you know there was some events outside of the u.s our own included that was successful um the paris event and ours and a couple in europe where we thought man they, they really kept, could be a championship that kind of you know goes everywhere else but the u.s why isn't there events everywhere else and um, when Feld handed back those rights, that was kind of like the catalyst to be like, man, we gotta gotta jump on it. So I I contacted um Tony Cochran, who was one of our founders at the time and the creator of the Vet Supercars, and we swung into action. Got a got a um got an investor um, in Mabadala Capital out of Abu Dhabi. We got them on board and secured the rights, and here we are. Um, and, you know, a year and a bit later. Yeah. So what COVID was kind of like a great reset for you to you know launch this global kind of supercross is that how yeah, it kind it of come apart yeah it, it was it was kind of it was kind of devastating because we 2019 was a great success you know we made some money and um we really thought like man this is great ozx open has come leaps and bounds melbourne's a fantastic location we had a multi-year partnership with visit victoria you know the government there which is super helpful and um but then COVID came and so 2020 we realized we weren't going to be able to do it 2021 we still couldn't do it and we're like man this what a killer like we did all that work to get to this point um but yeah it, it i think was you know a big contributor for the reason that felt didn't didn't renew the rights because they didn't want to spend the money on going internationally and they sort of felt they'd lost i i believe it's just my understanding they probably lost a lot of money thanks to COVID. So yeah. sort of thought, let's consolidate. And while well, they consolidated, it sort of allowed a, an opportunity for us to, to come in and grab those rights. And Is that know, so part was, of why the AMA lost the FIM? Because it wasn't global, it was just in America? Did that have anything to do with it or? Yeah, FIM were definitely putting pressure on them to take it around to other countries around the world. Yeah. And FIM, you know, they're the international body. They had um i assume federations around the world saying we want to you know see supercross come here and, and they were putting pressure on the us to do that um and i think that they just weren't interested really i mean they'd sort of looked into it they're making so much money doing what they're doing um they weren't into it yeah. so yeah. that's a big reason why that relationship became strained yeah yeah because they, they were only really doing uh toronto around in canada which was making an fim so but um, when when you guys were in talks with the WSX, did you ever have meetings with AMA and say, "Hey, well, look, we want to try and build the sport as a global thing. We don't want to be competition against you." Was there any talks like that, or did you just go, yeah. "You know what? We're just going to do our own thing, and you can do your own thing." 
Yeah, no, I mean, and to clarify, our relationship with AMA is good. Our relationship with AMA themselves is very good. That um, Michael Pelletier and um, and those guys are, you know, very supportive of us and what we're doing. Um, but the way it works there is that Fell really, you know, holds the cards and it's a bit different where it's, a, it's very unique in the US where um, Feld owns the rights as opposed to AMA owning the rights and Feld um, kind of paying them as a, a fee in the the which is the case with most regions where where in our case obviously FIM own the rights we we pay them to use them in the US it's quite unique in that the promoters being felled and also MX Sports my understanding is they own the rights um, and AMA well, definitely Feld's case AMA own the rights uh, sorry Feld own the rights and AMA pay them a fee just to come and help run the racing. So yeah, right. really felled are the ones that own it. it it's a, it's a, it's quite kind of unique. So if AMA don't really have a lot of say, you know, um, with, with Feld. So they've been great. I mean, we reached out to Feld also had a call with Dave Prater right at the start kind of said, Hey, we're, you know, we're not gonna, we're not looking to clash with you guys. We're looking to run at the latter part of the season. We'd love to work with you. Um, you know, so we definitely had those discussions and we sort of explained, we're not planning to be competition, um, but I think the reality of it is they do see us as a threat. They do see it as do see another international or global level, you know, championship as a threat. And I think, um, you know, they made the decision to 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 get closer to the um, to MX Sports and the motocross and kind of um, and band together to kind of protect what they have going there. Which you know, that's fine. That's that's understandable. Yeah, with, with the um, like obviously with the pilot season being a pretty big success. Only, even if it was only um two rounds, you know, you had some top level riders. Um, how's that going this year? Like getting the big name riders with the kind of the drama you had last year with certain teams not letting certain riders come. Is are you still having that drama this year? Yeah, I mean, it's a case by case because it depends for the individual. Each each rider has their own contract and contractual, you know, issues or challenges. And I mean, none of the riders don't want to come yeah. and don't want to do it. I think that's the first challenge that we had is the riders weren't interested, um, then that would be an issue. Um, but the issue that we have is that they have, you know, locked in contracts and um, some do anyway. Some have locked in contracts for Supercross and Motocross and therefore, um, you know, there's no option for them to do WSX. Um, and uh, But others don't and others have got Supercross only or they, you know, they... Um, they they are re in negotiation for next year's contracts and things. And so therefore, you know, some of those are all starting to fall into place now. So to answer your, your question, we'll see some really big name riders announced in the not too distant future. Yep. Um, the timing is a challenge because they're all going through all that contractual stuff now. Yeah, true, and yeah. with us starting the season a lot earlier than what we did last year, it just means that it, we're, we're kind of in the silly season. So there's a lot of riders, as you're probably aware of at the moment, doing their contracts for even the back end of this year and and next year and beyond yeah. and um and so we've got to sort of let those play out and you, you've got to you know be patient and Just, yeah, um, sit and back see and see how that works out because you've yeah, always you've you... always had a pretty good relationship with the bigger name riders because like when you were running uh, the Ozx Open you always had the biggest names come over for that every year and um listening to anyone who who did come over in interviews they all seemed to love it and had the best time so you've obviously never had a problem getting riders to come and ride your events but yeah just with this little bit of drama with people uh teams putting in the contract that they can't come that's got to be a bit disappointing 
Yeah, I mean, we've all we we pride ourselves on having a great relationship with with the riders. Um, you know, I mean, I um, have been around it enough to know what's important to them and to understand them. You know, managed athletes. You know, race tours. Uh, you know, to a certain level myself to know at least enough. And um, so, you know, we've prided, prided ourselves on, on the riders and teams that do come have a great time and which means that others always want to come. Um, and some teams and some manufacturers had been more, and just to be clear, I mean, it's the distributors of the manufacturers in the US only are the only ones that ever made it difficult. I mean, the manufacturers themselves from head offices in Austria or in Japan have been very supportive and, you know, we have Honda, we have all the manufacturers sponsor us here in Australia and things. So it's not the manufacturers that are getting in the way. It's really just the, you know, the subsidiaries in the US that have um, contracted athletes. And, um, you know, it it was, it has been frustrating because really all they've done is from, in, from my perspective, um, cost riders money and cost fans the opportunity yeah. to see their favorite riders. And I don't think that's fair. And I don't, I don't think, you know, doing that to, to hurt us is the right thing because I feel like if you've got a if you've got a rider that really wants to, um, you know, I mean, Cooper Webb last year would have raced WSX for sure, didn't end up racing in the outdoors, wasn't allowed to race WSX, you know, in that because that, KTM stopped him. It cost him a lot of money, you know, it cost him money and it stopped fans from being able to see him, which I think is disappointing. So that, that part of it is disappointing. Um, I, I expected challenge from the promoters obviously and from foul dynamic sports i completely understand and you know to be honest i mean i you know bear no no grudges i think competition is what it is but when i i personally believe that the manufacturers and the the industry brands kind of have a duty to do what's right for the athletes and also for the fans and i don't think that they they necessarily all have but you've you've gone gone the right way and said oh well we're not going to try and compete with um the supercross series we're going to try and fit in between because like you said, there is a lot of riders that want to do supercross only. They don't want to do the motocross. So, for the like the obviously the biggest part of our sport being in America, for them to stop, like you said, limit riders and everything coming to compete in the WSX is kind of disappointing because you're making a stage for, like you said, fans to see riders that can't go to the US and see them in the US that they can see them in their hometown. So, I think it's very exactly very poor that they're kind of limiting the exposure of Supercross over the world because eventually that's going to bring more money into the sport and make the whole sport a big in a, a big picture kind of thing. So for them to do mm, that exactly, and, and that was what, why it took me by surprise a bit because I felt like, you know, common sense would prevail. I, I knew that there would be, you know, when, when there's clash, and then particularly last year when there was no clash with motocross or supercross, there's no reason to clash, you know. There's 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 no reason why they couldn't do it. Like Jason Anderson, Cooper Webb, you know, any of those guys that wanted to do it, there was no reason because it wouldn't have impacted on their US program at all. In fact, you know, you'd argue that it would give them more practice time. Um, that was frustrating. Um, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> you've kind of got to take it as a compliment and go, you know, wow, you know the fact that they even consider us any sort of a, you know, a um a, a threat is is a huge compliment. So yeah, it is. Le- everyone that look at it. everyone that has had a dealing with you um has had nothing but good things to say. So you're obviously doing something right. Even like um writers, agents, and managers have all had good mm. things to say about you. So Thank yeah, you. I, I, I think I think that. that's what it is. I think that's why they're holding people back because 
you know, if they see the grass on your side's greener, they might all jump over and not go back to them, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think that's what we've just had to just stay true to the reason why we're doing this and the reason why we believe in it. And you've just got to not be rattled by that, you know, by some of that stuff because it's kind of like a and, – and to be honest, I see it all turning. Like it is, a, it is quite a lot of it's turning in the background now. Like there's, a, there's manufacturers now that are supporting – teams within our championship that there's some manufacturers out of the US that are now providing bikes and parts for riders that are racing WSX for teams within our championship and all that stuff is going to start to come out so it's all changing for the for the better and considering we had only done two races we really haven't proven ourselves much it hasn't hasn't taken long yeah um in reality it just feels like a long time do you know what i mean yeah, well, you, kind you, like- you've kind of stirred up a massive pot as you said you've only done two rounds and there's all these talk and Everyone's mm. scared of you already, you know what I mean? So you're obviously doing something right. And yeah, right, thanks, right, riders no, always want to, have always wanted to do Supercross all year, but from a riding point of view, it's not really worth it because you have so much time off in the off-season. It's hard to progress and stay focused when you're only doing Supercross and then you got, say, that five months off at the end of the year. Like your riding's not going to progress enough if you're not doing the motocross as well. But with mm. your World SX, like now people can ride Supercross all year and not look, like skip a beat. Yeah, and and again, the the kind of challenge is really limited to a very small, select few of riders that are on those factory teams within the the US. You know, being the the Cowie Honda, one of the KTM you know brands, um, and Yamaha, like that. You know, they're they kind of everyone else is kind of free to do what they want um but but and um but they're the only ones with the budget to say we'll do motocross and supercross and you must do motocross and supercross yeah. because everyone else knows how the expense of what motocross is and it's a huge expense because you know as you guys well know like the wear and tear on on bikes and equipment when to ride at the level those guys do and be doing you know multiple 30 minute motos yeah, a the, day the training three days hard, a week yeah. and, yeah, it, it just punishes equipment and they just burn through equipment and clutches and, you know, chains and sprockets and everything compared to Supercross is so much more wear and tear. So there has, there's always been, you know, and again, we, the reason one of the reasons we felt passionate about it, there's always been a desire for Supercross, you know, all year, as you said, but also, you know, the reality of it is, is that Supercross provides a better um entertainment platform but also a better um exposure opportunity for everyone involved it just does it's a it's in a stadium environment in capital cities the television broadcast is generally better because it's cleaner and all those kinds of things that um and it's the way for for riders and teams to get exposure to tens of thousands of people more than the motocross and you know over there it's no different you know there are 40 to 60 thousand people at a supercross and 15 to 20 at a motocross. That's just yeah. the way it is, you know. Um, so, you know, anyone given the choice would decide to take the bigger number and get in front of the bigger audiences. Um, but you're talking about a system that's been around for 50-odd years and so to expect that to change really quickly, you know, isn't realistic. So, you know, we're just trying to build a platform that's worthy that the manufacturers, you know, in the head offices say, well, you know, we need to get in this and we need to get behind it and we need to have the top riders riding in it. And that's what I think will, will start to happen now. Yeah. But like, yeah, like you said, Supercross is a lot smaller footprint overall. So it's awesome for fans because they can see the whole track, see all the racing um, in at, at once where motocross, 
it's such a big layout. You go to one corner and then you only see him come past every lap and you have to constantly go around the motocross track. So <laughs> it's definitely yeah. a lot better entertainment for the viewers to watch a supercross round because it, you can just see the whole track while you're there in the st- stadium. So it doesn't matter if you're at the top or the bottom, you can see the whole track. So it's yeah, definitely... And, I think, it's, and it's just in, in terms of an opportunity to bring new people, I mean, you would know, you know, for, for people like us that just love it, then we're happy to go stand out in the dirt and go check out a section and go be, you know what I mean? And then that's all good. But if you're a sponsor and you're trying to introduce, you're trying to bring a retail guest or someone that doesn't really give a shit about motocross, but you might be able to convince them to go to Marvel stadium because they're in a corporate facility and they got free booze and they're just checking it out, you know, <laughs> like then that's a different kind of, yeah, well, it's, this, a very, it's a much lower barriers to get people to come and check it out. That's you know? how that, people that's go. That's how they people become fans of like footy or soccer or something. It's because you can go into an environment like that where, yeah, you sit up in the big dog box and drink your champagne and have a fat old time, and you're not exactly. out. You're not out in the dirt. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, exactly. Obviously, this round, this year you've got six rounds. What's the end goal? Like, how many rounds is the goal to have, or is six like the kind of number you're going to stay with, or what's the guy? The, the goal is to grow to kind of 14 rounds over the next five years um, and then assess from there, really, is what we've sort of said. We want to grow by two events a year, um, you know, and so next year we aim to be at eight, then 10 the following year, 12 the following year, 14, and then it's kind of 16 um 14 to 16 and then kind of reassess you know and then it just depends how we're going and what the industry demand is like what the regional demand is like in each country and then we'll assess so we think that's really solid you know even even 12 to 14 will be really solid it's just um we'll reassess once we get to that point yeah going let's just say we get to 14 rounds it would have to be a travel nightmare to try and organise all the teams and riders and everything like that because going to 14 different places compared to if you're in Australia or America or Europe because you can kind of travel in a truck. How, how does it work with the teams with travel? Do you say here's a budget and the teams have to organise everything or does WSX organise everything for the teams? No, it's a good question. But no, they, they organise all their own travel. I mean, they get paid an appearance fee to, to show at each event. How they spend that is up to them. So it's not a travel budget as such. It's an everything budget plus their freight's covered. So they can they can decide how they get there and they just we just leave it to them because it'll it'll some events some events will benefit some teams and others will benefit others and um, some will decide to stay somewhere stay at a location in between and others will want to fly home and sometimes it's a rider by rider basis. So to, to your point, for us to try and manage it is just too much. We just leave it to them. Yeah, that, that that that's a way better idea. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. Travel's hard enough, let alone motocross, supercross athletes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had Tanti in a couple of months ago, and he said when he went on there, uh, Royce rode in the WSX. He said it was awesome to do it. He gets paid more money and everything, so he he was stoked to say, hoping that you'd do more rounds. So, um, in Australia, we only have a, eight rounds of outdoors, and we had four rounds of supercross. Do you reckon we need more rounds of motocross and supercross in Australia for us to grow? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I, you know, ideally, yes, I would say, but at the same time, I know that there's commercial realities that doesn't that, that what we say we need or want is kind of irrelevant. It's what the industry can can handle, you know, and what um, what the manufacturers are willing to support up until because obviously it costs them 
you know, not only are they spending money on the teams to go and the riders' salaries and whatever, which are, which is small, we all admit, um, but then they're also being hit up by the event promoters being Motorcycling Australia or us for events or what have you. And so, you know, they can only justify so much expenditure on racing in, in Australia. So I think ideally, yes, we want to see more, um, particularly Supercross, obviously, in my biased opinion, because as I said before, I think Supercross is the the kind of gateway to new people to check out the sport. Um, it can only grow to what the industry can actually afford it to grow. And, um, and that's what we're trying to find out now, rather than us all say, we're going to do six championship rounds here in Australia alone, and then going out to the industry to sponsor it, we're, we're sort of more saying to the industry, what do you think it should be? How many rounds can you afford? You know, um, and you'd rather do it properly and have, you know, three great championship events than you'd then have five and have two of them be write-offs where the industry feels like they didn't get their money's worth, you know? Yeah. Was that in the back of your mind when you started WSX is to help give Australian riders a platform to get onto the world stage? Did that have anything to do with it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, my kind of quest for Supercross, you know, since, since I mean, long, long, long ago as we touched on, but 2015, even just from Aussex Open standpoint has been the fact that, you know, I felt that, you know, I, I remembered from my years of racing um, Supercross Masters and things that, you know, how good it was to be part of those races and how, you know, how, um, how much that kind of created my love for riding was being part of those show, I yeah. guess. And um and kind of felt like that was missing and and that pathway isn't there and the pathway to be able to get you know to a, an international level isn't there and I also feel that you know racing in the US and and that being the pinnacle is kind of unfair because I feel like you're going to you know you're going into someone's backyard and then you're trying to compete against them in their own backyard which where which I where I feel like the World Supercross Championship is a great equalizer because. It's no one's backyard. It's the whole all around the world. And so therefore you might race in Australia and it's, you know, Tanty's um, and Luke Clout's home home event and that's great. Or we might go to the UK and it's Max Ancy's home event. And so he should kick us there. And, you know, rather than, you know, in the US, anyone that goes to race has to find access to a bike, find access to a track and then compete with these guys that are in their backyard that have been doing it their entire lives. And I feel like, I mean, you know, few can break through and the Lawrences have done it and Chad Reed's done it and, you know, some other Aussies have had some success, but I feel like it's a, it's pretty unfair, you know, for and, and it's the reason why riders from around the world don't generally have success at that level is because to try and achieve that and, and go into that country, find somewhere to live, get used to the food, afford to do it and build up a career against these kids that have been doing it their entire lives in their backyard, got their own family support and things. I think is is pretty um, pretty a pretty un, unrealistic expecta- expectation for most. Yeah, so. well, by the time they get there and find their feet, sometimes their contracts up. You know what I mean? They didn't get the results they wanted or yeah. should have gotten just because they were out of their comfort zone a bit too long and took a bit long to find their mm. feet. So you know, and then they get sent home because they don't have a ride anymore. So. They don't have a ride and they didn't perform. And I mean, you know. I mean, Craig Dack, you know, if you ride on one of the, your Reeves a bit unique here and, you know, it's because he, he is generally happy to take riders over there because he's got that other team. But for Craig Dack, for example, I mean, he doesn't have any incentive for Aaron Tandy to go to the US and kick ass because 
then he loses his Australian Championship competitor. You know, yeah. so there is actually isn't actually a a realistic kind of platform to 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 feed into racing in the US. Whereas on a on a World Championship level, there is because it's kind of like an equalizer, and I think that the there's the the being international is actually you know a benefit. It's something that we really wanted was to see riders from around the world, not necessarily just handpick the top American guys and throw them over and take them around the world. It was more like where can we find talent from around the world, you know, in other parts um, that may not have this opportunity and make it and that's what make it, could make it interesting and it, it attracts fans from around the world too because you know if you've got you you guys know what it's like thanks to having the Lawrences in there that luckily slid in right as Chad was retiring, yeah. it makes you more interested to watch the Supercross. So that's the same for fans all around the world. If there's a, you know, in Brazil, I'm sure because Enzo Lopes, they're paying attention, you know, because they've got someone to cheer for. If you don't have someone from your own country to cheer for, it makes it a lot less interesting and exciting. Yeah, you're right. And Tanny did speak about that when we had him on here. He spoke about the fact that he didn't have to uproot his life and move to America to do this kind of series, you know what I mean? You do a worldwide series and you still get to live it in your hometown. Exactly, yeah. And that's when then, then, then I just think it's more fair because they're all getting there. They all haven't had four days of practice in a week or the, and the practice they have had, they've all done in their home tracks in their own countries, as opposed to, like I said, you know, for him to go over and race that series, he's got to try and find somewhere to live and try and do it completely out of his comfort zone without his own support network and all the things that make him feel comfortable. So you're not going to get the best out of yourself in that environment. You know, he's not actually, if he races there, I'm sure he's not racing as well as he does in Marvel stadium, for example, yeah, you know, right, I, I just right. don't think that's possible. Um, with the tracks, do you guys have one track builder for all the all the rounds this year, or are you going trying to choose someone local from each round, or uh, a bit of a combination? So we had Jason Baker from Dream Tracks design the tracks, and he attends um, some of the races. Um, Justin Barclay is kind of his our lead shaper, I guess, that sort of works under under Jason. So, and then there's um, you know four or five other other guys that will probably interchange depending on where we go. So there's not just a one crew that goes everywhere because that's sort of a bit cost prohibitive, but you got a couple of core people that go all around the world and then find the local, local builders in each region. Yeah. Sweet. Um, and do you know if all the stadiums are being closed? Uh, this year, the first two are not and the rest are, Yeah. Um, you know, we'll always try, well, you know, having a roof is always, you know, favoured, um, but it's not always possible either. You, different locations just won't have them and, you know, we just don't have that option. So we'll always prefer to have one though, have a roof. Yeah. And, and what, what's it been like? Like obviously you got some European rounds, like you got the um, British GP and the French GP What's and the German one. What's it like booking stadiums with, you know, other sports and stuff, booking them out? It's really hard, um, and it's why the season. It's not ideal. Like we haven't we haven't got it dialed in the sense of the window of time that we want to be. You know, like it's too drawn out for six events. You know, but we're in July, starting in July when really we really would like to start in August or September. You know, and then go through to November. But the problem is in the UK, for example, straight. I mean, straight after our event in Birmingham they tear up the grass and then they replace it for soccer. And then that the soccer season goes from then until the following May. So yeah. it's like, it just that in Europe, particularly obviously soccer and rugby, the two main things that just um, dominate stadiums and availability. So particularly when you're trying to be in a premium location, 
Um, so we're talking about that at the moment, literally what next year looks like. How do we, you know, do we have to consider going to a not as pretty stadium so that you have better availability or is the is it, is it worth it on the, on the, to have the high standard of stadium? So don't have an exact answer for you, but it's definitely a, a big challenge because around the world, everyone's got their own sports and yeah. everyone's got their own, you know, bookings and things that you're trying to coordinate with. It's a, it's a, it's, it's difficult for sure. It's and how do you, and how do you choose like where you go? Like obviously you've gone to six different countries. How do you choose where you go like how does that come about um it's a combination of things like there's that we have quite a lot of research on where the markets for supercross fans are um france is one of the biggest you know countries um you know uk has a has a good following it's not one of the biggest but has a good following but then it's a matter of who we promoting with or who we're partnering with in that region what venues are available, what other events are on and what's that that competitive kind of landscape like. So, um, again, it, it's kind of, you know, we expect to it to get easier because you, you, you're kind of starting from a blank canvas and trying to get six events down, um, you know, but then we would like to have next year be adding on a couple, maybe one or two will drop off this year and then you're adding on a couple, but at least you're not going for the whole six or eight, you know, yeah. having to start from scratch every time. So I think, you know, we, we have a three-year partnership with Visa Victoria in Australia, so that's great. Um, we've got a couple of multi-year deals that are being discussed in the, um, for next year and beyond so we can go to locations and be locked in there and, and not to be every year going, okay, what stadium are we going to go to now? What's available? Negotiate with the venue, you know what I mean, and find the ticketing provider, find who's doing the marketing and the PR in the region and all this stuff, you know, um, we'd rather be trying to get some stability and that's probably one of the, the main goals. Yeah, the build, build a relationship with the same kind of people in each kind of country so it's easier every year. Yeah, and you've got to find dirt. You've got to find who's going to help you with the PR, who's going to sell the tickets, who's going to be in, you know, the track builders in that location and who's going to provide the lighting and the pyrotechnics and the rigging and all this stuff in all of the regions. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's a lot of work and so... You know, there's a reason why, again, I'll say it so many times, there's a reason why this hasn't been done before. So it's trying to, like, get the stable footing and then kind of incrementally build up as opposed to trying to find all new locations every year. Yeah, and with sponsors, like, obviously you're going to different countries. Do you have different sponsors in each of the countries you go to? Because obviously there's different companies and stuff that are big in that kind of area. And do you have, like, a title sponsor this year? We're not, it's interesting, we're not actually looking for a title sponsor as such. We're not wanting to be Monster Energy Supercross or Monster Energy WXX. It's something that we kind of purposely said that we didn't want to be. Yeah. Um, in saying that, we do want to have sponsorship in diff- all different countries and we do want to have global sponsors. So we've got kind of global partners that we're talking to at the moment as well as individual event ones. So, um, so and it, it, again, it is hard because, you know, I'll say here in Australia, we built up relationships with sponsors over over a number of years. And so therefore, you know, you, they, they trust you and they know that you're going to deliver on what you say, et cetera. But, you know, go to all these new regions and you're trying to build those relationships all over again. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've already got things they sponsor, already got events that they're involved in or whatever it is. So um, it all takes time. It's all relationships that take time. And we sort of realise that and just have to, 
you know, prove ourselves, be patient, build those relationships, invite them along, you know, you're inviting people along that aren't giving you anything, but just come along and check it out and get them to, to actually believe in the, um, not just believe in the sport as such, but more just believe in what we're able to deliver. Yeah. Um, you said before that um, you, there, there might be rounds that drop off and you might get new rounds and everything. What would you count as a successful round? Would you say is it the overall ticket sales? Is it the overall number of views on the on the stream? Or what would you say that that was a successful round for us? Um, I mean, there's no single thing. I mean, ticket sales and what the and you know, ticket sales, yes, obviously, because that that's an indication of the market's reaction to it. Um, but more so that, like the fans' reaction. If they, you know, say you sold 30,000 tickets in a new market, which would be huge. Um, but then the the research said that only 60% of them thought it was any good. <laughs> then you'd go, well, maybe they, you know, maybe that market isn't into Supercross or maybe then, you know, um, which isn't something we faced yet. But you, you know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of like looking at all those things, what were the operational costs? Or we, did we have major blowouts? Did the fans enjoy it? Did we sell tickets? Did this with it? Was the sponsorship strong? So the overall budget, you know, is one thing, um, but the fan reaction, you know, would is is probably the other and even more important. Yeah, that's that another thing engaged. I wanted to ask. Like, obviously, we don't need to talk about numbers, but like, what's the plan? Like, if this isn't financially viable after a few years, like, what's what's the what's the plan? Because you know, things come and go, and you try your hardest, but sometimes it just isn't financially viable we've seen championships happen around the world in multiple sports that that's happened and obviously they've been great but then they just kind of have to close the doors because it's not a financially viable for them to run it mm, i think i mean that's the the eternal struggle of any international sporting property i mean what we're trying to do really is follow the framework of what formula one and moto gp already do and mxgp at a, at a lower level um so that that means that there's a combination of ticket sales of sanction fees from promoters around the world from television broadcast revenue to sponsorship to merchandise sales to everything else so there's a whole raft of things that is what makes the 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 business successful you know as opposed to just the racing or the championship or the events or what have you so um you know it's definitely not a far you know to make something like this successful is going to take takes years of building audience building credibility building the sponsorship revenue up building up the television broadcast revenue etc um so you know i i obviously genuinely believe in it wholeheartedly enough to put my own money in it and enough to work as hard as what i what what we are um and i feel like the formula one or the motor gps of the world are really you know laid that framework down to show that you know in my opinion if a if a MotoGP can command, you know, a $40 million sanction fee to show up and bring its athletes in its show, then I think World Supercross should be able to achieve not that number perhaps, but something pretty substantial in time. But yeah. you've got to prove, you got to prove the audience and get there. Yeah. So that is the challenge for us to make sure that you build an audience long, you know, strong enough and a global following and passionate um, ticket purchases and all those things. Um, so the government sponsors TV broadcasters, etc., are willing to spend the money necessary to make it viable. Yeah. Well, speaking of the F1, have you ever thought or looked into having someone follow the WSX and do it like a doco on it? 
For sure. Yeah, it's talked about all the time. Yeah. Um, it's something we've talked about a lot. I mean, my previous business, AME, which still exists, um, did a produced a series of Fox Sports for seven years called Super, Supercars Life, which is a behind-the-scenes series on on supercars. It's, it's, a, it's a, a lower-budget version of Drive to Survive, you know, Drive yeah. to Survive. The thing that done is it opened the doors to, you know, a previously completely shut championship where you could never see anything or know anything about it, which is one of the reasons why it exploded in popularity is because that sport is so closed yeah. um, that when people could actually see it, they were just blown away. Um, but second to that, it's, you know, geez, I think I want to say a $40 million a year production budget, you know, just huge numbers to produce what they do and make it as cool as what they do. So, I mean, I think it goes without saying that anyone that's a Supercross fan believes that if people like Drive to Survive, then they would absolutely love something to do with Supercross that's in the, produced in the same way. And that the stories of Supercross riders are far more impressive. The athletes are far more impressive, you know, you only have to watch a day's racing to see some of the injuries and the setbacks and the comebacks and the the shit that Supercross riders go through in comparison to Formula One drivers is 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 no comparison. Yeah, and motorbike and, um, riders the risk and the danger. And motorbike riders have a bit more personality than car drivers. You know what I mean? Like they've had a bit of a different sure. life. Um, and well, it'd be they, it'd, they, it'd, it'd be unreal because they they've been. You know, if you're a Formula One driver. Um, this is a massive generalisation so and it doesn't apply to all of them but if you're a Formula 1 driver you generally have a fairly privileged kind of a background you don't get there without millions of dollars worth of support be it from family or friends or sponsors at some point which means that they have a level of polish that a supercross athlete doesn't have because a supercross athlete can if you're the if you're if you're there it's because you're the best in the world by far and you're yeah. talented beyond belief and so therefore money money can never ever make give you a bit advantage on a supercross track. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't and, matter who you are. Like, you know, any of us can jump on um can jump on Tomax bike and we sure as shit aren't gonna get around anything like he does. Yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it's not it's not giving a background is with the drive to survival, something like that. You put it like you watch the supercross. How much time do you actually see of the rider? You might see like a pre-race interview with them or post-race interview with them. And that's pretty much all you get to see. Like, but if you, like everyone wants to know what Tomac's into and what he does on his free time or Anderson or Roxon and everything like that. So I think something like that for motocross or supercross will blow our sport massively because everyone wants to know what they're like away from the bike kind of thing. Look at Malcolm Stewart. Mm. He, he's got a massive following because yeah. he's so cruisy when he's not racing. So I think it'd yeah. be awesome to see, and just to get it, like just to get it from the start when he's the first start in the WSX, like to to film something like that from the start and then see how it ends up over time, it would be unreal. <laughs> yeah, I mean we 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 laugh, we laugh about some of the shit that goes on in this office and and um, challenges at the events and things. I mean, people would be mind blown at some of the challenges and things that you come up across, <laughs> let alone what the actual races go through. So, yeah. you know, I think, you know, I think, um, you know, Hayden Deegan's a good example. Like people have followed his childhood and followed him because of the content and getting, they get an appreciation for who he is as a person. So therefore they're interested and engaged with his, you know, his results on the weekend. So, you know, and, and I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time with Jason Anderson and I think he's just the coolest guy. And I think if you had, you know, or Dean Wilson, who's just a total legend as well. And I think if people really got an insight as to how cool these guys are and then what they do on a daily basis, like they risk their life three times a week minimum, you know, daily they're doing shit that just like, 
inch by inch they could just wreck themselves and just ridiculously and so for other motorsports or other sports or anyone uh, it doesn't you don't have to be a supercross fan in my view to see that and be blown away and impressed by it if you could actually if we could show people that and give them a good appreciation i think the fan following for the sport would grow massively for sure yeah well you see athletes from other sports when they rock up to a supercross whether it's nfl players nascar drivers f1 drivers moto gp riders like they're all blown away at supercross like every single one of them mm. is just like exactly. that's way more nuts it just goes to goes to show right like every moto gp rider pretty well is a, is a fan of supercross yeah you know and yet they are making 10 times the money that what supercross riders are <laughs> and the, the reason is and the pure reason is is they're global athletes that are being funded by global budgets as opposed to one country. Yeah, you're um, right. And that's what needs to change. Talking about um, watching things, how can fans watch the WSX this year? Is it going to be a lot easier to watch or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we've got a, a broadcast announcement. It was supposed to be done this week, but it must. Be, I'm assuming it's going to be next week now. We're just waiting on a final contract to be signed, but it'll, it'll highlight all the different regions and the broadcasts. Uh, networks in each in each region um so in terms of household reach it's pretty much going to double this year from what it was last year so i think we had 200 million homes last year and i think it's going to be 400 million this year meaning just the amount of homes that can get get it um and then where possible and where we don't have like a an exclusive arrangement with the tv broadcaster we have wsx tv you know which is our streaming platform um so the People can watch it, you know, if they if they can't get it on a on a broadcast network in their home country, which they should be able to, they can get WSX TV and um and stream stream it that way. Yeah. So pretty much, if we want to watch all, all the rounds, we just go and go to WSX TV, and we'll be able to watch all the rounds from that way. Yeah, or the, or if it, you can't on that, for example, in Australia, you can't watch WSX TV live because we have a seven seven plus um, exclusive uh, deal. Yeah, okay. Um, and so therefore, but WSX TV, um, I believe is going to be able to tell you, you know, whatever region you are, where you can watch it. Yep, you know? okay. I think that's the thing. So, so if you can't, if you can't get it on WSX TV, it's because there's a, another networker that's got it there. And that's, that is what's hard about a global, um, you know, thing that there's TV networks, there's hundreds, you know, you're trying to bring in hundreds of them and try and make it accessible to everyone you possibly can. So, yeah. um, it's taken a lot of work to get to where it's at. Um, one more thing I wanted to ask is last year in the pilot season, you had two rounds and you had people like um, Tomac just do a one-off round. Is that going to happen this year? Like are people going to do one-off rounds or are you more looking at people to commit to the full series? Um, this year we've been more supportive of teams to do to, to, to get riders to do the full series. And so our commercial team working with teams to – find sponsors to help support their budget so that they can afford, you know, the big, the biggest guys. Um, but still never say never. Like, you know, if the Lawrences want to come out and do Australia, you know, and they can't do the others, then of course we'd love them to. And we try and find a way to make that happen. Yeah. Um, but the, the number one priority right now has been, um, has been doing the, uh, you know, supporting the teams to get full championship riders. Yeah. And do you guys have any say on like helping teams or suggesting riders for teams? Um, I mean, I'm constantly trying to connect dots with teams all the time. Like, uh, like I talk to all the team owners, like I consider them all friends and I, and I hear it because riders reach out to me or their agents reach out to me and I know, 
you know, so-and-so is available, they're interested in coming along and I'm trying to connect the ones, connect them yeah. all together. Ultimately, it's their say, you know, like, and it's up to it's up to them, but I obviously try and encourage or influence or introduce where I can. And um, like I said, our commercial team will try and if, the, if there's a big, a big rider that a team can't afford themselves, then we'll go, okay, who can we, who can we find what we've really been doing this year is who can we find that can support that team to bring that rider on, you yeah. know, what brands want to attach themselves to the team because the teams need sponsors to be able to find that level of budget. And so we're kind of putting our resources behind trying to help them find that sponsorship so that we can land some of the biggest names, which, um, you know, which, it, which is working and coming together now. So there should be some good announcements over the next couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah, and, and do you want, do you want to try and keep all the same teams every year or is it just pretty much what you want to do or how does that work? Yeah. Um, the licenses are with those teams. And so the 10 that we have is, is who, who um, should remain, but at the same time, I'm sure they'll buy and sell and things over time or form new partnerships and, you know, um, so the ambition was to have the same teams and and to build them up and help them and support them. But similarly, um, there may be others that come in or buy them out or a manufacturer might buy teams out in the future or what have you, you know, there may be different things that that um, it may change over time. But at this at this stage, the, point, the, the goal is to support the, the team owners that we have. Yes, right. And is, is it going to be... Going, going. Obviously, you said it, but the end goal is fourteen rounds. Is there any plans to expand more teams, or is just going to keep these core teams for now? Just the core teams for now. Like, if anything, um, we'd be interested in having more riders on the teams. You know, um, you know, if we extended to women's racing, which is something we've talked about, or you know, in, if in time there's e-bikes then we don't want to have e-bikes instead of four strokes but maybe there's maybe that becomes an extra category that the teams you know run a rider in or something along those lines you know um but at this point just the, the same the same teams that we have um is all is all we plan on having that's right just before we want to wrap up we want to put you on the spot is there be a queensland round of the supercross this year for the australian supercross yes I don't believe so. I don't believe there will be um, for this year, um, but I do believe that there's a couple of uh, couple of regions interested for next year. Um, that's not to say. I mean, I'm not in that day to day, yeah. So it's not to say there definitely won't be. But um, from what I've been hearing, that we there won't be this year. But um, but there's definitely plenty interested for next year. Sweet as well, yeah. mate. We'd like to thank you for giving us the time to come and have a chat to us. Um, and I know you're busy with it starting soon and um good luck and i hope it kills it this year and i can't wait for the i can't wait for the rider announcements to still come yeah thanks fellas and appreciate it thanks for your patience i know it's been a while for us to be able to make this happen so thanks for your patience and yeah appreciate your support and everything you guys do for the sport as well it's just uh keep trying to build this thing hey yeah beautiful thank you thanks thanks fellas appreciate it see you mate